0: Are you the son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Verse 23, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. Then the chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, "'You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people.' And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by this man. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Amen.
1: I wonder if uh, you've ever caught this scene from Friends. It's one of my favorite scenes, probably my favorite character, Ross. He has a major shampoo explosion in his bag prompting him to say, why me? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I wonder if you've ever had a moment in life where you sort of felt that sort of cry of desperation, where life actually in a more serious way maybe seems to be crashing in around you somewhat, and you wonder, where could God be in this? Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe health began to fail you. Maybe a relationship fell apart. Maybe you lost a job that you really loved, or maybe some people turned on you, and you ask, "Why is this happening?" Well, that's the question to ask as we see Jesus under trial here and eventually sentenced to death. Why is this happening? And that's what we will think about. Firstly, here, if you look at those that first section there, from the end of chapter twenty-two to the second verse of twenty-three, we see wicked. Rulers. It tells us when day came, and it's really worth reviewing the sort of night before, because it was pretty eventful for Jesus. One of his closest friends, Judas, has sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver to the religious leaders. He doesn't believe, ultimately, that Jesus is God. He may have valued some of his teaching, he may have enjoyed some of his miracles, but he doesn't believe that he's God. And what motivated Judas was money. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 6, he says, "'He was a thief.'" And the turning point for Judas seems to be when a young woman breaks an expensive perfume over Jesus and anoints him, and it's an amazing and intimate and personal recognition that uh, she believes Jesus to be God, Judas thinks only about the money. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, he says, "'Why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor?' And Matthew commentates for us, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and being in charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was in it. And just earlier in Luke's account, in verse 3 of chapter 22, it said, Satan had now entered into Judas. One of the marks of Satan, it seems to be, then we can say, is greed and anger. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests And the scribes, and here sort of think, if you're into sort of Star Wars, that sort of imperial council, uh, these are very much the bad guys. These are not people loved by the people, and they don't care about the people either. They hate Jesus because the people love him. And they love his message and his works. And though, those works, that message, would make their jobs redundant. If you are the Christ, they say, tell us. If you are the Christ, that's a word for God, sent Saviour, tell us. And this is not a genuine question, is it? We have examples of this in life, questions that are not really questions. And Any question, if you ever watch it on question time, is not a question. It's someone wanting to make a point and look clever with a question mark at the end of it. Uh, the question can you clean those dishes is not really a question is it that's not a question of do you have the ability it's telling you clean the dishes isn't it or how about the question how does my hair look that's not really a question is it or at least it's a question where we know there's only one answer good (laughs) or really good except my father-in-law who once responded to this, well, it's a bit like the garden fence. It grows on you. (laughs) No, we all know there are questions in life that are not really questions, and this is not a question. If you are the Christ, tell us. And look at Jesus' response. He knows this. If I tell you, you won't believe it. And if I ask you, am I the Christ? Am I God's sent, saviour? You won't answer. He's exposed them. They're very two-faced, aren't they? You can't outwit Jesus. And he has zero qualms in calling you out when you try to do it. They have decided they don't want to believe, and they're not going to budge. They know that he said he's the Son of God. In Luke's Gospel alone, 13 times before this, there are recognitions of Jesus' divinity. From Jesus, from other people, from even spirits. They know he said he's God, but they want to hear him say it. So they can charge him for blasphemy because they don't believe him. From now on, Jesus says, the son of man, that's the main title he's used for himself, should be seated at the right hand of the power of God. He is claiming to be God. That he'll be sat next to God his father in heaven reigning and ruling just as the father does. This little court that they've set up to try Jesus has no weight, no power, no authority, no jurisdiction. And he has answered the question, but he's not given them quite what they wanted. So they ask again, verse seventy: are you the son of God then? That recognizes that what he had just said was a claim to it, but they want him to say it in those words. Are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. And now they have what they wanted, did not they? What further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from our lips. The confession is good, and yet it's not quite good enough for them. Because look at the next verse there, verse 1. The whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. In order to put Jesus to death, and that was the aim, at least four times already in this gospel alone, we see that they've been seeking to do that. But in order to put Jesus to death, they needed Pilate to declare him guilty and to sentence him to death. And so they say to Pilate, we found him misleading the nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, that is pay the tax to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, the king. Now, these religious leaders don't care about the tax, they're not particularly bothered one way or another they're not upset whether jesus would or would not encourage paying the tax although as it is jesus has not discouraged paying the tax fact, when asked he says render to caesar what caesar's and to god what's god's if the picture on the coin is caesar's well pay the tax that he's asking for but they know rome does care And that Rome didn't really care about their religious arguments about blasphemy or not. And so they present the charge to Pilate that they believe will most motivate him to do something. And it's all very sad, isn't it? Because you would think the religious leaders maybe might be the ones who would like Jesus the most. You would think. And yet they hate him. Because he's everything that they're not. And is a threat to them. He's real. He's genuine. He loves people. The people love him. But they've set their hearts on killing him at any cost. And so the question is, why is this happening? Well, Jesus has said this is happening just in the last chapter there because he goes according to God's plan. And he said, secondly, that he goes in this way to fulfill the scriptures. And he's quoted from Isaiah 53 and we thought about that last week but there it said, verse 1 who has believed what he's heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And we see here the religious leaders do not will not cannot believe that Jesus is God's saviour. It's prophesied in Isaiah verse 8 by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And we see that happening here jesus comes and though he only ever did what was good what was right what was perfect he is not believed by many people he's led away in judgment so that you and i can one day be free of judgment be free of the judgment that we face From God and release from the guilt and shame wrapped up in it. Again in Isaiah 53 verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We see wicked rulers. But secondly we see a mocking ruler. From verse 23, 3 to 12. It's worth asking who Pilate even was. Pilate was a governor of Judea under the Emperor Tiberius from around 26 or 27 AD to 36 or 37 AD. Fairly short reign. And Pilate is regarded as fairly incompetent as a ruler. He faced several instances of civil unrest due to his leadership. This followed his hanging of uh, worship images uh, of the emperor around the city and coins that had pagan uh, religious symbols on them. And ironically, if it weren't for Jesus, Pilate's name would barely be remembered for what he actually did himself. Pilate is a nobody made somebody by being connected to Jesus. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so. Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. And Pilate can at least see Jesus is innocent. Pilate has nothing to gain, by the way, in being dragged into any of this. Actually, in Matthew's account, he records that his wife had had a uh, a terrifying dream and had warned him, don't get involved with Jesus. But they were urgent, this is the crowd, verse 5, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. The religious leaders are looking for an excuse to get Jesus killed. And Pilate is going to look for an excuse to get him out of his hair. He sent him to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. He finds out he's a Galilean, and so Herod technically has jurisdiction over him. So he sends him on his way, and he hopes that he won't have to be the one to make the decision. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him. Herod hoped to be entertained. Look at verse 8 there if you have it to hand. He was hoping to see some sign done by him. This is not flattering. He sees Jesus as little more than a court jester. Maybe he would come and do something entertaining for me. I'm a little bored. Perhaps he can do a little miracle for me. Who was this Herod? This is Herod the Tetrarch. There's a family of Herods. He's the second son of the Herod who had tried to kill Jesus as a child and had slaughtered a load of innocent children in the process of that. Caesar had recognized him as ruler when his father died in 4 B.C., And he ran Galilee and Perea as a client state of Rome. What that means is he's under their thumb. He's a puppet ruler. Herod had an affair with his sister-in-law and took a shine to her daughter, that's his niece, after she danced for him. And that's recorded for us elsewhere also. He had started out investigating Jesus, being interested in the gospel through John the Baptist Particularly, He was interested in the hype around him. It tells us earlier in Luke's Gospel that he'd heard of this and he'd heard the different interpretations of who Jesus may be. And he was interested to listen to John's preaching until he kills him. Herodias, his brother's wife, who he's having an affair with, sort of convinces him to have John killed. And from here, Herod seems to be hardened. So... He, Herod, questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. Jesus won't play the fool. The only fool here will be Herod. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. They won't go and they won't let up the accusations. It's clear they'll not rest until they've seen Jesus put to death. And nothing else will satisfy them. Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. They dressed him in splendid clothing and he sent him back to Pilate. They don't believe he's king, but mockingly dress him as one, treating him like a child. Think here when your children are dressed in superhero costumes and pretend to be their favourite hero. And you say, yes, yes, of course, whatever you say. That's the tone of that Herod and the court are taking here. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this day, they had been at enmity with each other. Herod, the local ruler, mocks and belittles Jesus, believing he's no threat to his power anymore. And for a second time, we're caused to ask, why is this happening? Jesus has said, this is happening according to God's plan, and to fulfill the scriptures and he's quoted from Isaiah 53 and there it says verse 2 he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him Jesus is mocked and dressed up like a king because they do not believe that he is a king at all Isaiah 53 verse 7, Isaiah prophesied, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. In the face of all of this mocking and abuse and false charges, Jesus is silent. He makes no complaint. He makes no attempt to get out. Jesus does this so that every charge of Satan against you and me might one day be stopped and that you and I wouldn't have to defend ourselves alone before him. Because Isaiah 53 verse 5, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. There's wicked rulers, a mocking ruler, and then lastly we see a cowardly ruler and a bloodthirsty crowd. Pilate says again, I didn't find this man guilty of any of your charges Neither did Herod. Nothing deserving death has been done by him. And Pilate's words incriminate the crowd. They want him dead, though he's done no wrong. But they also incriminate himself, because he knows Jesus is innocent. But he comes up with a plan, doesn't he? Look at verse 16. I will therefore punish and release him. And there's Pilate's cowardly nature appeasing a rabid crowd. William Churchill once, but an appeaser is one who feeds a crocodile, hoping it will eat him last. Pilate is a coward. And it reveals the truth, that you don't appease tyrants because they'll never be satisfied until they get what they want. But Pilate is weak, and Pilate is cowardly. They all cried together, verse 18 tells us. Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. And Luke tells us he's a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and for murder. And just listen to that. Let that settle for a moment. They want to exchange the Son of God for a convicted murderer. This is a painful rejection of Jesus. Pilate addressed them once more, verse 20, desiring to release Jesus. Pilate's attempting to be something of a voice of reason here. But things are escalating and control is being lost. Look at verse 21. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And it's amazing what can happen in a crowd in such a short space of time. We saw images just this week, didn't we, of Bordeaux Town Hall being set ablaze in the midst of protests. A crowd can very quickly run out of any control. A highly religious, morally responsible, disciplined people are being consumed with violent rage. It tells us that the size of a crowd doesn't mean that what they're standing for has any truth to it. This crowd are wrong sincerely wrong. The size of a crowd does not determine truth. It also tells us that people are very fickle because some of this crowd, at least some, only days earlier celebrated Jesus' arrival to the city and now call for his death just days later. People can be fickle size of a crowd does not determine the truth, what they stand for. A third time, Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? Verse 22, I found in him no guilt deserving death. I'll therefore punish and release him. Pilate, with nothing to gain in lying about this, recognises Jesus is innocent, A fact which is actually crucial in Jesus' ability to save us on the cross is that he was an innocent offering. Pilate wants to release Jesus. But here's the truth. He wants his position more. And he sells out his convictions for the promise of comfort. Pilate wants to release Jesus, but he wants his position that little bit more. And he'd be willing... If his comfort depends on it, to sell out his convictions. But they were urgent. And the word in the original language is that they were pressing upon him. They were coming down on. Now think of the way that a Twitter mob performs like this. And gathers and builds momentum and presses. And won't accept anything less. And their voices prevailed. Again, the word there is about overpowering. They were pressing down on and closing in on and coming down on. And now they overpower. Because Pilate realizes he can't keep his position and not give them what they want. And yet, he may keep power in theory. But he has no power. This mob owned him. Pilate decided, verse 24, that their demand should be granted. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Why does Pilate condemn Jesus? He knows he's innocent. He desires to release him. On the one hand, it's a cowardliness and a weakness of leadership. He doesn't want to have to be the one to make the decision. He doesn't want to have to be the one to be opposed. But there's also some satanic influence here, I think. It's as satanic as Judas' decision to betray Jesus and the religious leader's conspiracy to kill him. The man with the most power here, Jesus, gives it up. In order to save us. The man with the most power here, humanly in this story, Pilate, gives it up to a baying mob who just want their pound of flesh. And so for a third and final time we ask, why is this happening? And Jesus has said this is happening according to the Father's plan and to fulfill scriptures and he's specifically quoted Isaiah 53 And there in verse 3 it tells us, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We see the crowd rejecting Jesus, begging for him to be killed and choosing Barabbas over him. They say, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. He sent off to a criminal's death with criminals. Isaiah had prophesied again in verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he'd done no violence. Jesus is rejected so that we might be accepted as God's adopted children after he dies for our sins. Jesus, though innocent, stood in the place that we should have taking on himself a sin and shame that was ours, that it may be lifted from our shoulders. In this story, these religious rulers, Herod, Pilate, they think that they are trying Jesus. But it is Jesus who will one day return to judge the living and the dead eternally. These characters think that they're in power, But it is Jesus who will ascend back to his father's side to return one day to earth and bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. They think that they're rid of Jesus through doing this. But Jesus will return from the dead, proving he was exactly who he said he was all along. And so Luke's careful and detailed recording of this account leaves us with one simple question in the light of how Pilate and Herod and these religious leaders have responded to Jesus to all he is and all he's doing and all he's promised, all he's fulfilling. Is how about you? How will you respond to Jesus this morning? I'll pray and then we'll sing a closing song together.